So alright, hello once again to all of y'all out there in the Cotton Belt in Points Unknown. Uh, we want to welcome you to another episode of the Cotton Companion Podcast. Is this... Episode 13. 13. Unlucky episode 13. God, let's hope it's not unlucky. Here, right, here here uh, in the Cotton Grower offices uh, just outside of Memphis, Tennessee in Cordova. So today is Wednesday, February 24th. Uh, it is cold and rainy outside and that is somewhat appropriate because this is Gin Show Week here in the greater Memphis area. Um, for if you are an editor on the Cotton Grower staff, that means you are crazy busy this week. Um, we, if you don't know, we, we put on a little luncheon of our own at this uh, big show that happens in downtown Memphis, so that keeps us busy. We've also got a booth to tend to, so it's going to be a big weekend for us. It'll be a big weekend for y'all if you're in the Mid-South. We know that the show attracts about 20,000 people uh, annually a year, so um, we expect to see some of you. Come see us at the booth. The other, uh, uh, as as my companion here, Jim Stebman, mentioned to me earlier this week, this is the 20th anniversary, or the show marks the 20th anniversary of it. Is it Roundup Ready? Is Bolgard. That, Bolgard, excuse the me. Bolgard, Bolgard introduction, yes. I see, I see. So that was that was obviously a big moment uh, in cotton farming uh, in general 20 years ago today. What were you doing 20 years ago today when that came out, Jim? 20 years ago today, I was actually on the agency side and uh, in, in working with Monsanto on, and, the, on the rollout for Bolgard. So, yeah, I've got some uh, some pretty fond memories of, of that little project. Yeah, he was, he was what's the guy? He was Don Draper, y'all. He was a <laughs> madman guy, ad agency guy. I don't know. He, his, he was not probably that uh, controversial of a figure 20 years ago. I, on the other hand, was the lowest of the low on the totem pole at Brumfield Plantation, the lowest of the chopping crew uh, as a mouthy, skinny 13-year-old uh, during those days. So actually... A typical 13-year-old. There you go. There you go. Those uh, those uh, advancements in technology uh, back then actually made my life much easier, um, especially when Roundup Ready was introduced around that time. So anyhow... Uh, something fun to think about. It's been 20 years now since that technology first hit our market. Uh, we want to start off today's pod as we do uh, each week with a little recap of the latest breaking news that has happened over the past couple of weeks. Jim is going to lead us in that discussion as he always does. He is the uh, senior, or rather, is, it, is managing editor. Is that correct? Senior editor. Senior editor, excuse me. Um, Titles really don't mean anything in this, well, in this should, office, as so we know. I only have to keep up with one. There's only two of us in this <laughs> office. I ought to know that. Um, the other so, guy. Right. And in, as part of those duties, what I'm working towards here, he gets all of the news uh, on our website. He watches everything like a hawk, so he is the perfect guy to lead that discussion uh, on those news items in our market. After that, I want to bring you all uh, some audio that I recorded uh, rather clumsily from two weeks ago at the NCC annual meeting. During their general session, um, we got a report from House Ag Committee Chair Representative Mike Conaway of Texas. That's somebody who I spoke about uh, at length in last in the last episode of the Cotton Companion, and I was kind of trying to summarize all of the things he said. I figured I, I've got decent enough audio. I might as well just go ahead and play that for you and just cut out the middleman. So we will do that a little later on in this episode. There's actually kind of a news peg for just today, he's doing some stumping on behalf of uh, agriculture and U.S. cotton in general. So we'll get into that a little later. Uh, for now, we want you to just stick around. Um, we are going to discuss all of these things when we come back after this short break. 
Cotton Grower Magazine has the honor of saluting exceptional sacrifice and contribution to the cotton industry through our annual Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. Since 1970, Cotton Grower has handed out this distinguished honor to one individual who demonstrates tireless dedication to the cotton industry through involvement, innovation, and leadership in those issues that have a large impact on U.S. cotton as a whole. Achievement Award winners are chosen after extensive research and thoughtful input from around the industry. Cotton Grower offers sincere gratitude to Case IH and to Delta Pine for sponsoring the Cotton Grower Cotton Achievement Award. In joining the effort to recognize and honor industry leaders, these companies demonstrate their devotion to the cotton industry and their desire to see growers succeed. Well, welcome back from the from our break, and, uh, and and using that as sort of a jumping off point, we're going to go jump directly into uh, one of the news items that's occurred over the last uh, the last couple of weeks, and that involves Brake Herbicide uh, from from CPro, uh, a relatively new manufacturer, new uh, new company to the cotton market. They've been around for for a number of years, working in other markets, uh, and and I know a number of growers out there. Uh, have done some field trials or, or taken a look at brake herbicide in their fields as a possible uh, alternative for pigweed control. Uh, on February 11th, EPA registered brake for pre-emergence use in cotton. Now, brake, the uh, the chemical name for brake is fluoridone. It is a bleaching herbicide uh, that is applied pre-emergence. Uh, it's the, the basically the herbicide is absorbed by the roots of the plant. Uh, translocated through the plant so when something does come up it basically comes up white it has absolutely no photosynthesis going on at all um, it uh, it has really good cotton tolerance uh, extended residual weed control uh, it has shown very good control of palmer amaranth as well as many other broadleaf weeds and grasses uh, it also excels under wet conditions as I recall uh, seem to recall uh, fluoridone is a product that also has some aquatic uses, so uh, it does require water to activate it, some rain or, uh, or if things stay dry, probably a little, maybe a shot of irrigation. Uh, but it, it'll, it will allow weed control to continue under wet conditions, uh, which, would, uh, which will help if, uh, if it is raining and growers can't get back in the field for some of their timely post-emergence applications. The product is going to be brought is going to come to the market this year in two different formulations. Uh, there's a product called Break FX. Uh, that is a mixture of, uh, of fluoridone and flumeteron, or as commonly known, cotteran, uh, that will be used in the mid south and southwest. There's also a formulation called Break F16, that is a, uh, a blend of fluoridone and fumefacin, or reflex. Uh, that will be used in the southeast, and the reason the uh, for the for the mixtures on this is I understand it in talking with several weed scientists who have worked with this over the last few years. It allows the cotteran or the reflex, depending on the formulation for your area, to act as a bridge, uh, a pre-emergence bridge, if you would, uh, to help maintain or keep uh, keep weeds small until the fluoridone itself is activated. So. Uh, another tool for the uh, for the weed management toolbox this year that uh, that has seen some some use in certain certain areas under Section 18, but now is uh, is approved for use across the cotton belt. Yeah, uh, the only thing I have to add, it seems like any 
uh, uh, production event I've been to over the past probably two or three years, especially in the southeast and mid-south. If there's an extension weed guy there, the growers, during the Q&A, somebody, one of the growers in the audience is going to say, you know, what's going on with the Section 18 on break because uh, it's clearly been a... a a popular product over the past few years. So right. Well, I was I was at a uh, uh, University of Tennessee Extension had a cotton meeting in Jackson, Tennessee, a week ago, mm-hmm. and uh, during the the weed management presentation, uh, Larry Steckel, the Extension weed specialist, uh, was very upfront about break, and uh, and the value it could bring, t- and uh, and a number of questions that were a- were asked at that point. Uh, so I think there's definitely some interest there. Uh, we'll see how things work as we we get into the uh, you know into the season. For sure. Obviously, a lot will depend on weed pressure. A lot will depend on price. A lot will depend on uh, what growers end up uh, end up planting this year. Yeah. Our uh, our next item, again, from uh, information from last week, we've talked in the past about the uh, the merger of equals that is uh, that is underway between. Uh, Dow Chemical Company and DuPont, uh, and the fact that uh, as they finish this this company, and uh, which, as we understand it, is is going to be the the overall name for the company is Dow DuPont, uh, not DuPont as we not Dow as Pont, we've tried no. to make happen. No, we tried, we tried, but that, but you know, <laughs> there there are smarter people out there who are not listening to us on that. Uh, as as we talked about, they're going to take this company and break it into three independent publicly traded companies and one of those three companies is going to be an agricultural group. Last week they announced sort of the site structure how this company is going to be be set up from a physical perspective. Uh, the corporate headquarters for the Ag Division is going to be located in Wilmington, Delaware at the current DuPont headquarters facility and that's going to have the office of the CEO and all of the key corporate support functions that you would expect at a corporate headquarters. Uh, then existing sites, an existing DuPont slash Pioneer site in Johnston, Iowa, and the current Dow AgriSciences facility in Indianapolis are going to serve as global business centers. And in those offices, you're going to have the leadership of the business lines, all of the business support functions, uh, R&D, supply chain, sales and marketing, everything related to, uh, to the specific products the specific chemical products, the specific traits, the specific seed products will all be uh, broken out as appropriate between uh, the Iowa and the, and the Indiana locations. Uh, even though it wasn't it wasn't officially announced, uh, but you, you also get an indication of how this is, company is going to be labeled. Uh, the agriculture company will feature DuPont in the company name, whether it will just be DuPont, whether it will be a, a another version including the DuPont name, is, uh, is yet to be determined. Uh, obviously, they have not gotten into the corporate naming and branding process. So uh, it, uh, it'll be interesting to see how this, uh, how this all structure comes together. Uh, obviously, there's no decision on who's going to be filling what positions and, and what the situation is going to look like in terms of the supply chain and the field support staff. Uh, those are decisions for people who are way farther up the food chain uh, then certainly we are at this point, and they will share that information with us when it's appropriate. But right now it looks like uh, the Ag Division will be headquartered in Delaware with uh, marketing support functions in Iowa and Indianapolis, and um, 
operating under some sort of DuPont name. The, uh, the last item we've got it really ties in and sort of a nice lead-in to, uh, to, to Beck's conversation with, uh, with Representative Mike Conaway of Texas. Uh, and continuing our discussion from last pot from our last podcast about the oilseed designation, uh, and this comes from actually from Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack, uh, basically explaining or explaining why he feels it's not appropriate or he doesn't have the authority to make the uh, the oilseed designation that the cotton industry is is requesting. Uh, I'm just going to read a couple of comments here from from his from his message. Uh, because obviously it's a dialogue that is ongoing and will continue to, to, uh, to move ahead over the, uh, over the months ahead. Uh, but he's basically saying, uh, after they examined the laws closely, and that included the 2014 Farm Bill and the 2016 Appropriations Law, uh, they determined that such a designation is not authorized under the 2014 Farm Bill because the Farm Bill expressly removed eligibility of cotton for such payments as cotton is no longer listed as a covered commodity. Now, that's his statement. We've heard the, we've heard arguments from both sides on this that yes, cotton as a covered commodity pertains only to the fiber, not to the seed. Yeah, that's been Conaway's right big message: is co- cotton does not equal cotton seed. It's exactly it's two different products. So you know, by by the letter of the law, yes, it's not a covered commodity, but uh, but it still appears that there's a gray area in there. Uh, in spite of this, USDA is providing some ongoing assistance to cotton producers. Um, Stacks payments obviously will be calculated and made early this, this coming summer, uh, but USDA has already dispersed more than a billion dollars in crop insurance payments to cotton producers over the last two years uh, through marketing assistance loans, loan deficiency payments, and other programs like that. Uh, also, uh, USDA is looking for other ways to provide support to the cotton producers, uh, either through temporary assistance to producers through a congress- congressional action, or to use as, and, and again, I'm, I have to read this because I'm not an expert in, in legislative law by any stretch of the imagination, use either Section 32 of the Act of August 24, 1935, or Section 5 of the Commodity Credit Corporation Charter Act to provide some level of support. Now that's encouraging, but at the same time, then the secretary turns around to say, those options have been severely limited by the by the Appropriations Act, which essentially funds the government. So um, he has asked Congress to examine the appropriations language to see if they could grant USDA flexibility through legislative action. Uh, they are going to continue to work closely with the industry to explore other avenues of assistance between among USDA's existing authorities, uh, they do want to help, and will continue to examine all the all those options. Now, as as we sit here recording this podcast today, uh, the House Ag Committee is holding a hearing uh, to review the state of the rural economy, and Secretary Vilsack is scheduled to testify. It's going to be interesting uh, over the next few hours or few days to see while the uh, how the dialogue between uh, Secretary Vilsack and Committee Chairman Conaway uh, plays out. Uh, Conaway, as as Beck has noted, a very strong supporter of the oilseed designation. So it's a 
it's a it's an ongoing topic. It's almost like an old movie serial. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, stay tuned, you know, for next week. Right, right. And to be sure, you know, anytime you're talking about um, sort of this, these two sides being at loggerheads here, it's, it's kind of shaping up as Vilsack and USDA are saying they can't make this designation. The House Ag Committee led by Conaway are saying, oh, yes, you can, and their lawyers are kind of hashing things out. It should be noted that the council has been very active and very vocal up there getting your mm-hmm. uh, sort of side of this story out there, which is, you know, it's very interesting. As Jim was saying, the thing that's going on today is a, uh, what is it, a, a hearing on ru- the rural economy. Right, state of the state of the rural economy. Yeah, so, so when I was in Dallas last week, the council played this video that showed this delegation that they had sent up there, um, I believe it was in December. Yes. To appear before the House mm-hmm. Ag Committee. And, you know, I mean, these guys were, they weren't exaggerating at all. They were letting them know, listen, things are bad right now, you know. And, and not only this, this, there's this side of the story that is, hey, commodity prices are terrible. Um, all of our other inputs are going the, in the opposite direction up. This is getting really hard to scratch out a living. There's also the side of the story is how many times does a dollar spent on cotton turn around in a rural economy? Mm-hmm. And it's a lot. And, and you know, there, there have been a lot of stories done on that very topic, I mean, cotton and cotton production has been a bedrock of rural economies for decades and decades and decades. So the council is the one who is going to D.C. and shouting that message from the from the mountaintops there, from the rooftops there. Um, and it sounds like Conaway and the other members of the Ag Committee have been receptive to that message and hopefully are there spouting that message today. Absolutely, and, and for, for a local perspective on, on the whole, on this whole situation, I, I encourage you to, to go to cottongrower.com. Uh, we posted an article earlier this week from one of the newspapers down in the Rio Grande Valley that had talked with, uh, interviewed gr- cotton growers, uh, but also their local congressmen who are very, very much in favor and behind the cottonseed designation, but talking about it more on a local and certainly regional perspective in that part of Texas as to what cotton means to uh, to the economy in that area and what this designation could mean with the designation or without it. Right. You know, and that's and that's a good sort of lead in here. This is one of the messages um, that Conaway was was preaching there uh, in Dallas when I was there a few weeks ago. You know, this this clip that I'm bringing you, uh, just to set it up, I had just gotten settled in in this auditorium, and they had introduced Representative Conaway, and I'm fumbling clumsily with my recorder. Jim, uh, I would hope that you've probably been been in this situation before, too, and he starts in just as I'm trying to get the thing turned on, and I was actually trying to clear space out of the recorder. This is all journalist problems, guys. Yeah, Um, editor stuff. And so he had gotten a couple sentences out before I hit record, so it's a little clumsy start. Trust me when I say he was just sort of setting up his getting into the other oil seed designation as a topic. Um, the first that one of the first things out of his mouth, this was back on February five or six, was the fight is not over. Uh, Vilsack had just said on the third he had just sort of issued his ruling that he didn't think he could make this designation. And the first thing out of Conway's mouth is this is not this issue's not over, the fight is ongoing. 
And so from there, you will hear verbatim what he said the rest of that speech. It's about six minutes worth um, because we're going to present it to you after this short break. One of those things was you guys out there need to get involved. Um, reach out to your politicians, your uh, the people who represent you in D.C. where you can, and, uh, you know, let's let's keep this conversation going. So uh, enough of me setting it up. We want to just bring you exactly what he said. If you will stick around um, through this next break, we will bring you that speech from Dallas uh, at the NCC annual meeting. So stick with us, and we will be right back. other oil seed. Uh, we believe on the committee that the secretary has discretion uh, under the farm bill within the, uh, within the parameters of the farm bill to make that designation and that is appropriate. Uh, he's, uh, his lawyers and, and his decision uh, on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday of this week uh, went the other way. We sent a rebuttal letter yesterday uh, to the secretary walking through each of the reasons why we think his and his team's analysis of the, of the authorities under the Farm Bill uh, do in fact grant him that, that, uh, that discretion. So we'll continue to work on this issue. Um, the, the fight is not over. Uh, we're gonna work with the uh, Secretary and the, uh, and the agency to try to get that relief. Uh, the relief that, uh, that we'd like to have should last through the Farm Bill. Uh, one time temporary band-aids or one shot, one shot deals, one shot kind of things um, aren't, Art would not be as helpful, uh, certainly not to bankers and others, to, uh, to try to address the issues that, that have been driven by China's policies and India's policies on, on how they've uh, uh, skewed the market for, uh, for cotton. And uh, so we'll be in the, in the wrestling match on that deal going forward. Any help that, that uh, you could give to uh, add to uh, the, uh, this idea that uh, cotton seed should be uh, designated as other oil seed, um, I've uh, basically deputizing each one of you, <laughs> get in the fight with us. Uh, if you think you've got something to help, uh, particularly with, uh, with Democrats that you may have a, uh, have a relationship with, uh, helping them get on, the, uh, on board with the position that we've got. Uh, I, don't think the, you know, I don't think the decision is final, 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 and, uh, and we need to work respectfully with the Secretary to try to get to a better answer than what, uh, what came out on, uh, on, on Wednesday of this, uh, of this week. Um, the uh, programs are, are estimated. In my letter to the secretary yesterday, I showed that that uh, cotton support, cotton help, um, is going to be 87 percent of what it's been over the last 15 years on a projected basis. Uh, it's pretty clear that that, uh, and that includes the stacks uh, payments as well. So uh, it's it's not a it's not something that uh, it's inappropriate for us to be uh, asking for, uh, given the. Uh, the, the market manipulations and the impact the market has had from uh, China and the other uh, uh, other things that are going on with respect to uh, uh, that uh, that issue. Uh, the 18 farm bill is uh, at the front of my mind. It may not be in front of a lot of folks' mind, but it is mine. Um, we need your help, uh, particularly in the, in the area of creating an urban-rural uh, coalition that's not anchored in SNAP. In the past, we've been able to use the uh, SNAP program and the, and the safety net for production agriculture, put those together, uh, create the kind of momentum necessary to get the votes in the House and the Senate. 
It's got to be broader than that this time because, as you saw in the 14 Farm Bill, uh, production of agriculture drug the Farm Bill across the finish line single-handed. Uh, we didn't get any help, much help, no help from the uh, from the SNAP side of that deal. The relationship exists. Urban America benefits from what you and your colleagues do. They uh, uh, enjoy the, the, the most abundant, safest, and affordable food supply on, in, in, the, in the world. Uh, they pay less of their disposable income for food than any other developed country. So they're automatically benefiting every time they go to HEB, every time they go to, to uh, United Foods or wherever they go to buy their food, they benefit uh, in their pocketbook. They just don't know why they're paying less. And it's a, you travel overseas, you understand how more expensive food is. There's a relationship already. And so we have to help urban America understand that symbiotic relationship with rural America and, and a strong, vibrant production agriculture industry. Without that industry, rural America suffers, uh, and, uh, and, and, and quite frankly, urban America will start to suffer. You know, we look for uh, ways to try to use anecdotes and other things to help people understand what is going on uh, with respect to the cost of food. And I thought that the avian flu thing uh, last year would cause egg prices and other things to go up enough that we'd be able to point to circumstances where um, the, the pocketbook was being affected and, and help urban America understand why it's important that we keep you guys in the fight. Uh, it didn't happen. Um, Y'all coped, they coped with it. Um, there was an interesting picture showing uh, the big snowstorm that happened in D.C. There was a picture that showed a grocery store where the shelves were just stripped clean. This was because of the snowstorm. That same picture could be used to illustrate what, would it look, what it would look like if we flushed the American agriculture industry out of the business and rely on imported foods. That could happen to America just as easy. So we've got a, you have a great story to tell. It's a national security story to tell. The problem is you've got to tell it over and over and over till you're sick of it, till you can't stand it. And then you've got to tell it a couple more times. Then you begin to break through uh, to, uh, to urban America to help them understand exactly why they need to be very supportive in 2018 of the Farm Bill efforts that uh, we've got going on. All right, so that'll just about do it for this installment of the Cotton Companion podcast. I want to take this time to invite y'all to continue to participate in our Text and Expert program. Uh, that's where you stand a chance to win $100 from a drawing courtesy of the program sponsors BASF. Uh, to enter, all you have to do is uh, text the word COTTON to 313131. And from there, you'll be sort of prompted to text us your farm-related questions. Uh, if, if your question is selected by the editors of Cotton Grower, that's Jim and I, we are going to match it up with, a, with an agronomic expert in your area, most likely an extension guy, and uh, we will feature it in a future edition of Cotton Grower Magazine. It's, it's exciting stuff. It'll help you on your farm. You could pocket $100 from it. Uh, just, just participate. It's a pretty cool program uh, that we are undertaking with our friends at BASF. So we want to thank you sincerely for joining us today. If you like what you're hearing, please, by all means, tell your farmer buddies about uh, this podcast. You guys are our best mechanism for marketing. So if you like us, let your buddies know about us. Uh, you can reach our podcast in three easy ways. Number one, go to cottongrower.com and sim simply search for uh, the Cotton Companion in the search bar located on the top of the homepage there. 
Uh, number two, probably an easier way to go about it. Uh, you can subscribe to our channel on iTunes if you have an iPhone. Uh, if you are familiar with iTunes and your smartphone and, and you do go ahead and subscribe to our channel, please leave us a rating. Let us know what you think of our pod, what you think we could do better, what, what uh, we're doing worse in your opinion. Um, another great way to be sure you receive each and every installment of the Cotton Companion is to go ahead and sign up for our weekly e-newsletter. Now that's something that Jim works hard on uh, each week to pack all of the relevant news of the day uh, into those things. They hit your email inbox every Tuesday morning like clockwork. This guy will get them out to you. Um, occasionally they go on Thursdays as well coming up. Is that right, Jim? Occasionally, but I think we're almost finished with our Thursday sins. So. Okay, so just Tuesday mornings. These Tuesday e- mornings. There you go. These e-newsletters will hit your email inbox. They'll have all of the news of the day, and they'll also feature each installment of the Cotton Companion. Uh, you can subscribe to our e-newsletters by going to www.cottongrower.com scroll to the bottom of the page and you will find a link there to subscribe to our e-newsletter also please make sure you follow us on social media we are at cotton grower mag on twitter and on facebook you can find us by searching for cotton grower magazine we uh, hope that you are currently enjoying our latest issue that's the february issue the march one is due in your mailbox in a little over a week Maybe yes. a couple of weeks. Week and a half. Week and a half. We'll there split you, the difference. There you go. Early March. There you are. Um, so, also, before I forget, come see us at the at the uh, Gin Show if you are in town in Memphis this weekend. We will be there at our booth, and we hope to see you there. We'll have plenty of little take-home knickknacks, as you would expect to find at the Gin Show, gin show uh, for you. So, come, come find us. This podcast is produced by Mark Antonelli. He works there at The Mothership, Meister Media Worldwide, in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. My name is Beck Barnes, and I will be back with you in two weeks on the next episode of The Cotton Companion. For now, on behalf of my own Cotton Companion, Jim Stedman, we wish you and your farm all the best. <laughs>